ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get done for eSports! Hello and welcome to Nerf This, the esports show that is luckily a little better at finishing than the Philadelphia Fusion. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and I am joined, as I always am, by Seven. Hello, sir. I really thought you were going to mention something about that tattoo festival you went to right there at the end. Uh, so I'm glad that intro didn't go the way I expected it to. Uh, I'm sorry. That's, we're, that's we're, awful. We're just going to leave. Show. I said finishing, and I know you were just waiting. You're just like, how where is this going to go? <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. It's been a day. That's yeah. all right. Oh, the poor Philadelphia Fusion. Before we get to that, uh, we've got a big show ahead. We always have a big show. I always say the same things. As someone pointed out, I apparently start all my sentences with unfortunately, and the problem is. So I've like got a little post-it note that you can't see over here to make sure they don't <laughs> say those phrases. Well, it is Nerf This, so I think every show starts off with, unfortunately, we're <laughs> back again. The problem <laughs> the is problem you're still is listening. they keep paying us. <laughs> we, we do our best to get them to go away, but the checks just keep coming. we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the Hearthstone Witchwood expansion. we got a lot of cards to discuss over what we talked about last week. We're going to talk about some things in SK Gaming we haven't talked about, or at least I personally have not had a chance to talk about CSGO in a while. Uh, SK Gaming shaking things up a little, so we're going to talk a little bit about our your boy Stewie 2K over in Cloud9 as well as Taco. Uh, and the Overwatch World Cup is coming back, apparently. I, I have a lot of feels there. But before that, let's get to the Stage 2 playoffs of the Overwatch League. I saw a tweet flying around, and I'm sorry I couldn't find it again to give somebody credit, but I thought this was a very interesting point. One thing the Overwatch League has done really well is the whole concept of any given, any given Sunday, which is like a shorthand in sports where basically any team can win at any time. And I don't think anything demonstrates that as well as the Philadelphia Fusion's run in the playoffs because they <laughs> they made a hell of a run, you know, your your favorite Comcast sponsored team. Um, given uh. I mean beating the Spitfire and giving the New York XL a run for their money. Yeah, it's a huge weekend for them. Again, this is a team that uh, I was talking to someone earlier today that they've not been the worst. I mean, obviously the field been around, but uh, they've been like that middle to middle of the pack, maybe like mid lower side of of the halfway point. Uh, and so they haven't been uh, great, but uh, but this um, this stage they've been doing ex- exceedingly well. And uh, I think one of the things that was was mentioned earlier on, uh, I think even in their broadcast or in their uh, matchup against uh, NYXL is that NYXL seemed to have discounted the fact that the Fusion would even make it to the finals yep. and primarily focused on how they would take out the Spitfire. So I think that largely gave Fusion an edge in a lot of ways because 
they weren't expected to be there. Their tactics weren't already completely figured out. Uh, and NYXL, yeah, man, they gave them a run for the money. It was not looking good for a while. It took a reverse sweep to get them back in. Yeah, <laughs> to, to get them to win it. And, and as you alluded to, like the Fusion, you know, we gave them a lot of shit at the beginning of Overwatch League because they had all those issues with the visas. They were not able to participate in the preseason. And they've really gotten it together. They'd struggled early on. Uh, the huge issue in Stage 1 and, and still a significant issue in a good portion of Stage 2 was just their inability to coordinate in a dive comp heavy meta. Like They were just constantly having issues with tanks going in early and not being able to hold up against some of these you know stronger, more coordinated teams but when it came to the spitfire like they really got it together and i think this is probably the most telling stat out of all of this so philly took three maps that london had previously taken off philly including hanamura and route 66 in which london were undefeated so this was not just like oh the fusion got lucky there was a lot of skill there and what the fusion ended up doing was playing to their strengths and instead of doing the dive comp, which they attempted on map one and it just failed miserably. They ended up just running a slower triple tank at a lot of these maps. And were very methodical about their approach against the Spitfire. And the Spitfire were like, they got super aggressive. They got punished for being super aggressive. And in the end, the Fusion were able to pull it off. And like you said, it's a huge deal because it gave them an advantage early on against the NYXL. They took the first two maps, I think, largely to do with the fact that NYXL was completely unprepared to take on the fusion and the fusion were not coming in with the normal dive strategy super aggressive strategy that they were expected to get from the spitfire well and the fusion was also doing uh, it's something counter to what nyxl was doing right so fusion was primarily focusing down uh, basically anyone but nyxl's tank so they were therefore trying to take out support uh, you know, obviously trying to take out people like Jonak, which is very, very important. Uh, it somehow manages to get more kills than most people do ever on Zenyatta. So uh, in one match, he'll do it more than I've probably done in all playtime. He is actually uh, but, an Omnic, I'm pretty convinced. Uh, I, he, Yeah, he is one with the machine, man. He, There's something going on there. But it, but it was interesting because, again, I, NYXL did the complete opposite when they started winning, and it really showed a lot on Hollywood, which is when they, they chose to solely focus down tanks. And what that does is it put, uh, it, it put like Boombox and Neptuno to the test in terms of healing. And yep. they are not as strong as NYXL's support team, uh, obviously Jonak uh, and, and Ark. And so in, that, in doing so, uh, that is where they found their weakness. And it really came down more to on like control point stuff than it did uh, on payloads. And so that was when they were able to really just excel and take it for a win. No, no pun intended there. I, excel, I, I, yeah. I think one of the interesting things, too, and while I wouldn't say the entire uh, series turned on this, the battle between Carpe and Sabiobi was very interesting because it really played out exactly how the maps ended up playing out. In the first half of this matchup, yeah. Carpe was looking super strong on the Tracer and in the Widowmaker battles, but that came back to haunt him in the second half, in which Sabiobi flipped the script on both those characters. Carpe could not hit some of his shots. He's having a huge, hard time penetrating the back line with his Tracer, and that basically left those supports open to do what they need to do. And when you're talking about somebody like Jonak on that back line, just you know, ripping people's heads right. off and you can't get pressure on there like you need to, that I mean, that's really the problem that they ran into. And you know, there was nobody questioning how good of a tracer Sabiobi is. 
but the fact that he was also turning up on Widowmaker was great for the NYXL because when Carpe unable to hit those shots and often having to switch to the Tracer because he wasn't able to pressure with the Widowmaker, that just left Sabiobi open to do what he does best, and it ended up punishing them. And they, it, you know, that last map, which we should talk about in a second, was close. But those middle two, the third and fourth maps, NYXL looked like what we expected, which is them just steamrolling the fusion. And, and Libero seemed to be really carrying NYXL pretty hard a lot of times, right? The, that Sabiobi, um, uh, Carpe matchup, it, again, was back and forth, back and forth. And, and it was very level for a majority of the time. It, I don't know, it felt very swingy, right? Like one's ahead, then the other. Yep. Uh, but that, that Libero was at times just super, super clutch. Uh, I think it was on Lee Jang, I think it was. Um, he was even though they didn't take the map, he was just such a pain yep. to deal with because uh, with his Junkrat, and so he was bouncing between Junkrat, uh, his Genji, Farah, and, and really in the end, and I know we'll, we're getting to Gibraltar, but uh, it, it, he was kind of the unsung hero in some ways. I know they kind of gave him like player of the match in the end, so he's not really unsung, but he did one thing which basically allowed them to push it past that 50 meter mark on past that that second point and that was he took out um mono right as uh right as he was about to remech and with in doing so he basically deleted a tank and allowed them to kind of uh not be able to hold the point with anybody even remotely strong i think they tried to like I don't know. I think it might have been like Boombox jumping back in and trying to like just stall long enough. But yep. there's a big difference between Boombox jumping in as support and uh, Mono jumping in as Diva. Like there's a big health total difference. Yeah, you know? definitely. It's. I don't know. This was closer than I was expecting it to be. Even once NYXL made some adjustments, you got to give the Fusion some credit because they were able to stick around in Gibraltar a lot longer than we were expecting. Some of that was just due to the Genji play of Eco and like double dragon blades that were just back-to-back super strong, able to extend that map longer than it had any business doing so, to the point where it looked like they might have a shot. NYXL ended up pulling it off, which, you know, I I don't think in the end, if you look at it from an outsider's perspective, you probably were never questioning, but two back-to-back, both the Fusion Spitfire and the Fusion NYXL matches, amazing turnouts as far as playoff contention goes as far as the play that was in the playoffs you you gotta give it to them it was a hell of a showing for the overwatch league and from a a number standpoint one of the most watched set of series since the beginning of the overwatch league breaking into the quarter of a million viewers concurrently on twitch and that's that's great to see it sustaining to this level you and i had some questions about this playoff system going into it it felt just like we were constantly diving into the playoffs but it seems to be paying off for them it does, and I think this, uh, you know, every so many weeks having something, uh, which which is a big event. I mean, this is a big hyped event that in most uh, esports or the other titles basically wouldn't happen till like what maybe midway through a year. It's like multiple months, and then this is only what are stages now? Like six weeks? Is that what they are? It's essentially Something five like weeks because now we get this additional, which is this is a change for this stage, was uh, getting an actual playoff Sunday as opposed to them trying to tack this on to the last day on a Saturday. We get a whole separate day gotcha. for the playoffs, which is huge on, on a couple of levels. One, it gives you that standalone day. Two, and while this turned out to be an issue, this is always going to be an issue for the team coming out of the semifinals, is 
you had a long five map series against the Spitfire. You get a long five map series against the NXL, the, the NYXL. That's a lot of Overwatch for the team that comes out of the semis, but still better than what we saw the teams face when they came out of the final, the semifinals and the finals for the previous right. stage because this was all tacked onto a Saturday, which made for a really long day. And in the end, I think it tires out the audience and you get higher numbers and you get a whole nother day. The Overwatch League, right. when you look at it from a financial standpoint, they get a whole nother day of a quarter of a million concurrence. That's not a bad business decision either. No, it's not. And it does save them from having to play. I think it was like last time it was like 14 maps. I think it was like map 14 that they basically like lost it on. It was just ridiculous. Uh, So it was, again, it's nice that they they don't have to. And it is kind of a a little bit of a bonus to the team who, you know, is a higher seed. They've already made made their way into the finals to have a little bit of an advantage. And maybe it's the fact that you're... You know your opponent has played a little bit, but we've we've seen in other games that that's not always a disadvantage. One round, one game isn't as bad. Uh, CS:GO seems to complain about it a lot, but a lot of times you know, we we see teams who get to skip a day because they've been seeded right into the finals and, like I say, winners bracket tend to almost always lose yep. <laughs> because they've cooled off for a day. Um, so it really depends on how you want to look at it, right? You want to keep that momentum? Yeah. Do you want to you need a rest? I think obviously the sweet spot's somewhere in the middle, but I think this overall worked out, made for some amazing matchups. So if we look at the league table right now, I think this is interesting to take a look at because we've got NYXL sitting at the top where it looks like based on play right now, they look like the strongest team. We also still have Flower to come. We're gonna see Flower for the first time, I believe, in stage three, the way the schedule works out. Um and there are, and we didn't see Pine at all in no. the playoffs. And they have him in the back pocket. They got Flower in the back pocket. So things are looking strong for them. The Spitfire well, sitting at second. Pine's been dealing with some depression issues. I think that's what I, what came out. Yes, which is why he hadn't been playing. So it, I, it it'll be interesting to see if he actually does stick around for the next stage and, and or, or may continue. Or if they um, give him some to uh, play. They might give him a break with Flower coming in, too, because Flower yeah. sits in a very similar role that Pine does, which is right. great on the McCree, great on the Widow, um, but very streaky, right? Like, when he plays well, he plays amazing. But, you know, we did see times in the World Cup where, you know, Flower was nowhere to be seen on a couple of maps. So, overall, it's still, I think, NYXL is in a pretty good spot coming into this oh, stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, London Spitfire sitting at number two. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. They win stage one. They almost... You know, they get one match away from winning stage two if it weren't for a surprise for the Fusion. So I think they're in a good spot. I think you have to look at the underachievers here. It's Seoul Dynasty right now sitting at three. And that may be a little harsh, but when you look at things like they ended up finishing fifth in stage one, they finished fourth in stage two. They find themselves outside of the playoffs, a second stage in a row for what is was the most feared and consistent team early on in stage one. And they play strong. They play well, but when it comes time to put it down... They're just not getting into those playoffs. And the way the system works right now, they're missing out on these performance bonuses. They're missing out on this potential big match experience that they will need as we move into the later stages and get into the actual championships. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But for the Fusion, you know, as much as you and I have talked about them being a bit of a surprise, they're just sitting nicely in number four for the total league standings right now. Well, it helps that Outlaws decided to tank themselves this last stage. But, <laughs> yes. I mean, they went from uh, third to seventh, basically. And I think that was even – they were, they definitely went on a, what, like a three or four game, like, losing streak. They were yep. 
in rough waters there for a while. And people were just like, why are you at the bottom of the table after being one of the top contenders in, in stage one? In stage one, I know, sorry, they were in second, yeah. And so uh, to go from second to, at one point in time, almost completely dead last is pretty tough. I mean, they fought back, but still middle of the pack. Uh, it's not where I don't think anybody expected Outlaws to be. And so it's almost like Philadelphia and uh, Houston kind of flipped the script on each other, right? Like they... It's almost a complete reversal of where we we assumed they would be in terms of power-wise. And, again, I don't think a lot of people thought Philadelphia, again, well, actually, they totally flipped, almost. (laughs) Like, Philadelphia was, you know, at seven on stage one. So, again, I I think it was was great because I think everybody wanted uh, a not-all-Korean final. Yes. (laughs) Right? And I think they also liked the fact that Philadelphia Fusion was very much an underdog. And everybody loves an underdog story. And the fact that they were able to just kind of fight their way back uh, and really make a a game out of it. It almost felt like that very first match between Dallas Fuel and Soul Dynasty. The very, very first map where you're like, holy crap, Dallas Fuel might actually pull this off, right? Yep. Because that was considered like they're going to be the best North American team. Soul Dynasty was obviously what everybody thought was going to be maybe top one, top two in the league. Yep. Uh, and the fact that they were they were going punch for punch on first map, and then well, after that wasn't so much so. But but we it, get we get the hope. east versus west version of this in a very different yeah. way than we were expecting. We don't <laughs> thought it was going to be NYXL and the fusion. We all thought, like he says, it's going to be the fuel and the soul. Now the soul clearly not having nearly the catastrophic season that the fuel have ended up having, which is like the days of our lives going on over there in Dallas. But I think overall you've got to give it to the fusion. And I'm hyped about the fusion. And I'll tell you why. I am seeing growth and adjustment throughout this season. And that's not just getting on the hype train because they made the playoffs and they gave a good run for the money. If you look, they are taking cues from their coach. They are getting better. They are making adjustments. And that's a big deal right now because there's a plenty of teams that are failing miserably and making adjustments throughout the Overwatch League right now that mm-hmm. just continue to get worse and worse. The fuel fall into that bucket. I think both LA teams have shown that the, a lack of ability to adjust to the meta, a lack of ability to adjust as the teams change their strategy. The teams that are able to be flexible either through roster changes as far as like subbing people in and out or just how they attack the meta have proven to be better teams and that's what the fusion showed me this week is they were able to go in there against a hyper aggressive team see very very quickly very early on and often in the first minute of a map that their strategy was not working swapping out characters getting off of dive getting into the triple tank and that is probably the best indicator i can see now are they going to take it all the way am i like super hyped that you know the west is going to beat the east i'm not going that far but the fusion is definitely doing a good job to represent western players and i think that's the best we can hope for at this point yeah, and I think what is also changes uh, again taking cues from their coaches, but the fact that they're able to work as a team and focus down players or opponents is really what worked out so well for them. And they they knew that they weren't going to be able to out DPS uh, the support heels coming from NYXL's backline, right? They, so they knew they had to uh, again either take Fraggy out there and let them try and focus down on him because they knew that they were going to go for a tank and just let him die and go and try and pick people off on the back end. But you saw them splitting NYXL up a lot, uh, especially on Route 66, and they were getting caught out in some just crazy spots. You're like, why Why is Jonak that far out? Yep. Oh, because they weren't, they, weren't, uh, they weren't respecting Philadelphia Fusion as much as they should have. That was obviously shown by the fact that they didn't even practice really – with the intention that they would even face them. Yep. Uh, but they were just 
again, overly aggressive. They were getting caught out, and Fusion realized this. And when you've got three tanks, you're uh, you're able to kind of hold your ground enough. And losing one tank and still having two, but them losing all their supports, you're in a better spot, really. You're actually well, you're dangling Fraggy out there, basically saying, "Yeah, go ahead, take out that Winston. We have no problem with that." While you're over here, you know, distracted and overcommitting to try to take Fraggy out, we'll just sneak in your backline and take out. When that worked for them, when they were able to pull that off, that worked really well. I think. Where NYXL was able to bring that back around is when they were able to outpressure the back line. And there was some moves where I think Eco and Carpe did struggle sometimes putting pressure on the back line, yeah. regardless of the heroes they were playing. And when that didn't work out for them, then they fell apart and they had to switch back to dive and they had to start playing a game that they have not been playing well, which is, and they showed some better coordination when they did go dive comp, but it was not nearly to the level of coordination you're going to get out of a team like the NYXL and even what you saw from the Spitfire. Well, and I think also what you saw was in some of the last matches, uh, especially on Gibraltar, I think it was right around the, uh, maybe it was just past the, the first point, you saw Ark almost focusing on Jonak as one of his main healing targets. Um, obviously, constantly trying to keep him up and keep him going because uh, Jonak likes to kind of pop out, take a shot, and occasionally he was being focused down because he was just able to, he was just one-shotting. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but... You, again, that uh, they knew that they they had forced him back into a dive comp. This is when, uh, sorry, when uh, Fusion was on defense. Uh, they forced them kind of back into like a, a dive comp, and they were just basically able to try and focus down the, the supports. And in doing so, uh, again, a, a good call by NYXL, which is healers need to keep healers up primarily. <laughs> and they were that was all the stall that they needed, right? They're just such efficient and amazing healers. Like and the that, flexibility, that Ana, yeah, the flexibility of having a Zenyatta. They basically can yeah. act as your main DPS, but also get those heals out there and that transcendence alt. There was some great usage of the transcendence alt. <laughs> yeah, right at the end. The end was just amazing. <laughs> and in the counter, they were very good at baiting that out of the fusion. I think the fusion got burned a few times when NYXL was able to get those support alts out and bait them out early, especially the transcendence. There's a couple early transcendences they were forced to use when somebody would go down and then they would be stuck in that situation. So overall, like huge kudos, some great, great top level play, in my opinion, from all three of these squads. Like I am loving the fact that Overwatch League is finally getting to a stage where we have more than just some South Korean teams that are doing well. The fusion are doing well, despite, you know, having some issues <laughs> this stage. I think the Outlaws are doing well. I, I think we're in a pretty good spot overall. I'm glad to see the Dynasty where they are, not because I'm a Dynasty hater, but I think it's it's everyone just assumed we were going to come in. It was going to be the Dynasty. It was going to be the Fuel, and the fact that we're getting different teams competing each playoffs, even if it necessarily will boil down to NYXL and Spitfire, I think is good for the future of the league. Speaking I, of the I future of the league... That. So we got stage three map pool coming up, and I want to talk to you real briefly about this because I think there's some interesting things here. So the things that have people super worked up is the assault maps are now going to swap out. And we're going to get Volskaya and Temple of Anubis. Hybrid is Blizzard World and Numbani. Control is going to stay Ilios and Nepal. And Escort's going to have Route 66 again, but we're going to get Junkertown. So Junkertown, Blizzard World, and Volskaya are the three that people are pretty worked up about because they're not super happy about what that does to the meta. Um, Junkertown will be interesting to see because I don't know that pirate ship is necessarily going to be as strong in a world where Sombra can just hack you for days. We get that extra option up against that bastion. 
But the, the two things I want to talk about is, A, how do you feel about those new maps? Because they are ones that tend to play a little more boringly as far as you know an audience perspective. And also, like at what point do we get to a map draft veto system? We've got four maps per type with five hybrids at this stage. Like, Are we close? Are we ever going to see that? And why is Blizzard so resistant to this map draft veto system in Overwatch? I, I think originally, this is something we, they had talked about a while back, right? That they didn't want to involve the draft system because it could make uh, it, it could make things more lopsided in terms of how many times it takes to win, the play lengths. Uh, and, and so, for instance, you could always get, uh, you know, someone's got two assault maps and someone's got this, uh, you know, an escort map or whatever, and, and or a control map, and the someone else hasn't even played one at all that day right like it just it, it's not it, it's not equal it's not like a a because the map and the mode of the map has so much at play for how the game is run and the strategy and even the length of the game versus it's a dumb map in which you have strategies that kind of go around it uh, there's so much variance in that and i don't i i understand why they want to keep a uh, a static map pool from stage to stage uh, the other thing too is I, I'm oh, I'm good with them switching it up because one it, it's it's fine in terms of meta wise right like you don't want to see the same stuff over and over again right we want stage three to be different than stage two and right. one totally get it uh, on top of that even though it may be boring it might be more exciting to watch or it might be slower it might be more exciting to watch because they may give their observers a better chance of. Uh, I, I don't know, finding the action and relaying that onto the audience as less so than kind of diving in and out of every single room in Lijang Towers and, and stuff like that. And it, like, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it'll be better, I think, from an observer standpoint if it's not as crazy or fast-paced. Uh, but also, it is the first time that they're doing it live, so it might also not be true. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes any sense. It's going to be interesting. I, I think... One of the challenges, maybe they just don't think it's very interesting. I think you can still keep you have to, the way their point system works. You need to have it set up the way that it is because we need that lack of ability to have a tie on the escort map at the end in order to like decide who actually wins, right? Because we have this like forced final map that you have to do for the tiebreaker. It, there's maybe something to be said for some sort of like, okay, you pick, you know, the you get the assault first pick, we get the hybrid first pick, and rotate like that. But I, you do make a good point that unlike something like Counter Strike, where the strategy of how you play is very much determined by the map that you pick, but it doesn't have you don't have this overarching hero meta that Overwatch has that is also impacted by that, right? So it's not just about strategy; it's about like being like, oh, they're weak. They have a, they have a shallow hero pool, which is already just punished by your ability to constantly switch heroes to also punish them by picking a map like, oh, they can only play these two supports. We'll so pick a map those two supports suck at. And it's almost like a double punishment. So I get it. I think what people crave a bit is the strategy that other esports give us, whether it's the map draft strategy or the champion or hero draft strategy. Right, right, right. And it's just a little bit harder for the casters to highlight 
why because you're not in the you're not in the brains of the players and you can only try on the fly to toss some conjecture out there as to why they swapped from one to the other especially if we're not talking about full meta changes or full strategy changes like you see like we talked about with the fusion where you're going from a very dive heavy comp over to a triple tank comp and that's interesting in itself but it's not the same thing as like oh they picked diva over winston because it's a permanent decision and and maybe it's just us being used to that and craving it a bit more but it is a complicated system to implement in some meaningful way in overwatch yeah and i think one other thing and again i'm still not sure if i'm i'm for the map banning uh as of right now probably not but it would allow if they did institute a ban system and a larger pool of maps more than likely would allow for more rotation of players that have been sitting on the bench, right? Because you may pinpoint, uh, again, the strategy of we know that, you know, their their tank is horrible at this map or whatever it may be. And so we want to focus on that. So maybe they rotate in a tank, right? Right. Unless you're the fuel because you're out of them. But <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, it, there is some strategy to that. And it would allow some people to kind of come off the bench and play. Like, we <laughs> maybe just maybe idd cutie would actually get a play uh, sometime th- this this stage if that was the case i'm sorry who uh, idd cutie they still have a contract yeah evidently <laughs> still has a, a picture with the jersey on and everything but uh again it, there, there's some people that have been sitting the bench and haven't had the chance to play and maybe a greater fluctuation in map and uh, again really stretching people uh, the opponent's uh, hero pool um, is is a good thing. I, I mean, completely if you've got agree. The extra players, like why not? Because we only see maybe at most what one player swap out here and there. Yeah, and it's usually like, like one person twice. And it's usually like, like specifically because that person is like earmarked as flex, right? Or yeah. you you get like those weird like oh this person's really good on tracer this person's really good on widow so we're gonna swap back based on what we think is gonna be heavy but it's not nearly right. like you said you you can't really when you got like some of these teams with like eight ten twelve person rosters like you're not really able to test those the downside is is teams that run shorter rosters teams like especially like um my you know Florida mayhem that at one point was literally just running these six that they needed it makes it much much harder for them it's interesting though because if you take a map like blizzard world that i think is a far more complicated map to master than say something like temple of anubis or something of that nature there's a lot more space to work in the paths are not as clear um it does put that pressure on it but i imagine in a world where we got to map ban maps like blizzard world and Junkertown would just flat out get banned all the time because they're just there's too much work it's it's possible. I mean, you do see some teams always ban a specific map so that they never have to play on it, yep. right? And then we see that in CS:GO, right? Like someone doesn't like Nuke, they're always going to ban Nuke, whatever it may be. Yep. And so, or keep uh, the train away from SK slash Astralis <laughs> slash whoever's the train champions at this point. Yeah, that happens. That happens quite often. And then you see, uh, which is actually uh, in the CS:GO world, you see people like, well, the ban system is kind of failed because here's SK or here's uh, Astralis, and they they've played you know forty matches on train, and then maybe two on nuke. And you're like, yes, and they never get better because <laughs> they, they just right? avoid it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a good you point. kind of already already know. And so at that point in time, if you know Astralis, Astralis is always going to ban nuke, then like or why, dust, whatever it may yeah. be. Why bother like, they, like even training? Yeah. Yeah. There there is no strategy really to it, or the the strategy is less, and the strategy comes in like well. 
what's the first or second pick and that's all it boils down to is who gets first or second yeah no that's a very good point it's there's definitely pluses or minuses so that's what we have to look forward to in stage three we got a bit of a break before that kicks off but overall things are looking pretty good um i don't think i would have expected the table to look like this but i'm i'm happy that it is it's uh unpredictable um Something else that was unpredictable. Now, I, I want to caveat this. You and I have known um, basically since BlizzCon that this was coming. But I was interested to see the decisions they chose to make in how this is structured. So the Overwatch World Cup got announced today. It's coming back. It literally, the process is kicking off today. You know, Blizzard always with their, like, advance notice on esports things. Starting today through the end of competitive season nine, uh, which is April 28th, Blizzard is going to be tracking the average SR as they have in the past for each country's top 150 players. Um, now they're this year, so this is different than last year. So last year they took the top 32 teams. This year they're taking the top 20 countries and inviting them into the Overwatch World Cup. Now, I have a couple theories as to why this might be. We'll get to that in a second. The four host countries, which this year are going to be France, South Korea, Thailand, and the U.S., will be getting automatic berths into the Overwatch World Cup. Uh, that's actually notable because three of these four teams, as of the current skill rating uh, brackets, will be in any way. So actually the top 23, the next three teams in the top 23 will come in because France is sitting in fourth, South Korea one, um, and U.S. in two. Thailand at 22nd is currently the only one that is actually outside of qualifying regardless. So smaller pool this year. Overwatch League players are going to be involved, which I th- was not surprised, but I think is interesting. Um, it may also be why they're shortening this to, from 32 to 20. So it may be that they're shortening this to 20 because of the involvement of Overwatch League players. Because it does seem like, I, mean, I don't know if you remember much about last year, but it like it ground on for quite a while. They were all over the freaking yeah. world. There's a lot of matches going on. Um, and I imagine that's a pretty big toll on Overwatch League players that potentially will be representing their countries in this. Yeah, and that it definitely it did, and I think a lot of people really only paid attention to the last couple of weeks leading up to BlizzCon, right? And, and really, the last maybe like two, three weekends, because prior to that, uh, again, it wasn't. I guess I guess last year it was largely because they were trying to figure out how to televise a lot of stuff, right? Yep. How to stream it? And they were still figuring out a lot, of, a lot of that, and I think it wasn't until BlizzCon that they instituted the actual colors changes. Um, where they had the the teams with yeah that was like their big announcement just before yeah. BlizzCon was like the the te- they were basically using it as a test bed for the Overwatch League setup right 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 and so again they there was a lot of there I don't think there was a huge push on it because they didn't want to push set expectations or ruin expectations for Overwatch League by pushing on World uh, 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 I'm sorry on the World Cup too much because yep. again if you if you, if you don't do it well, people aren't going to be super, super interested in Overwatch League. There's just a ton of pressure on them. So I, I got a feeling they weren't really 100% into it. Uh, it was very much like a show match, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. which was a huge show match because they, they dethroned StarCraft out of their own section of Anaheim Convention yes, Center. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, but no, the, I, I the pre-hype was kept to a minimum. Yeah, I, I, I think it's good. But we also had a lot of surprises from... From teams that probably would not have been, I, I again I don't remember where like Canada ranked right because didn't Canada make like a crazy yeah run Canada made the crazy it? run um 
to the point where they ended up taking home the silver. So last year's results was South Korea, Canada, and Sweden in the top three with France uh, missing out in the bronze medal game, which was a big surprise to begin with because everyone, the whole story is behind France. They had brought in like ESPN and Bleacher Report to do like this whole profiling of France because it's also the last time that team was going to play together because the organization that they worked for or they played for at the time ended up not getting an Overwatch League spot. So they were all going to get split up. Um, so there was definitely some surprises in there. It, it also was because the other favorite, the U.S., um, got paired up with South Korea in the opening round of the World Cup at BlizzCon, which meant that like one of those teams was just not going to make it. Um, so that also was like a, it kind of threw things off a little bit. It's still amazing the 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 Canada run, specifically Canada versus South Korea at the end, um, was right, great. Right. You know, overall it was a great Overwatch. It turned out to be a much better. Um, precursor to the Overwatch League than I think they ever could have hoped for. And had they known it was going to turn out the way that it did, they might have hyped it a little bit more uh, because it was not a disappointment at all. Uh, the other thing that I think is worth talking about here is the there's been this consistent rolling back of the normal player involvement. Now, this is something you and I have talked about in the past. This has bit them in the ass on Hearthstone quite a bit, like trying to involve players and and just when I say players, I mean the average player of this game being involved in the selection process. Right. So there was a whole player voting section last or two years ago. Last year, the players voted for the GM of each country based on a pre-selected pool. So they went through and they grabbed a bunch of like personalities in the esports community, former players, casters, etc., and you got to vote based on that pool. They are scaling that back even further this year, and the GMs will be selected specifically by Blizzard. They will be accepting applications for the GM position, and they will pick who is going to be the GM for each country, and then the GM will drive everything going forward. There's, there are um, people who qualify for tryouts and things of that nature, but nowhere is there a player, a individual player voting element the closest we get is that the top 150 players are voting for the coach and that's the closest right. that we get they take the general population out of the equation this time well i think that's i think that's smart because you start getting into a popularity contest and you start getting into a lot of animosity if if the person isn't really really liked hearthstone i think <laughs> that uh, was that was the best example it is a shining example of, of what happens when you put it in the community's hand and then uh, people get chosen or find a way to cheat or whatever it may be. And I, again, it just goes south. I mean, we had Hearthstone had people quitting because of other people were being allowed in. And then yep. it just became almost kind of a, of a joke in a lot of ways. So kudos to them. I'm glad they're making the adjustment, to be honest. Um, so we're going to have up to 12 player squads. Uh, the tryouts are going to happen between June 1st and July 5th. Ultimately, what we're looking at is we got group stages in August through October. It's clear that it's going to happen in those four countries. We don't know where specifically yet. I think it'll be pretty obvious in most of those countries. But when, where in the U.S., my guess is they'll probably just do it at the Blizzard Arena. It seems to be they've been heroes of the dorm there. <laughs> yeah, um, it saves them a lot of money. to. I mean, it's a lot of money to move these these things. Something like the Overwatch World Cup is not going to drive a ton of revenue for them. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Thailand was uh, selected because they've been doing a lot of stuff in Thailand. Yes, yes. It seems like. So, Hearthstone-wise. Yeah, and Southeast just, Asia like, has been like an emerging market in esports yeah. for a while now. We see a lot of, like, I think um, Super Evil Megacorp and the stuff they've done with Vainglory, Southeast Asia is a huge part of their, their business plan. So it makes sense for them to be in Thailand. Like you said, they've been kind of having some precursor events here. And then the top eight will take place in November. They don't. I don't think they specifically call out BlizzCon, but duh, it's happening in November. It's going to be a yeah, BlizzCon. Right? I don't know 
why they like keep pretending like we're to the point now where BlizzCon has to happen every year, so I don't know why they pretend like it's not going to. Um, and it gives us some Overwatch at BlizzCon because we know that Overwatch League is not going to be happening at BlizzCon. It's very unlikely that Heroes of the Storm is going to wrap up at BlizzCon again this year, and we may not see Hearthstone. Like it's very interesting. The esports strategy, which very much centered around BlizzCon every year, is now becoming more of like a show. Form you know like a showcase format as opposed to like actually having these events wrap up specifically at BlizzCon. Well, yeah, when you have <laughs> when you have multiple games that are quite popular, you're essentially just poaching audience from yourself repeatedly. Yep. Uh, and I also think that it's just become too much uh, from a production standpoint. You're you're looking at you have to hold multiple crews. Often they're they're doing the same job as another crew uh, from a production standpoint, and so you're. You're hiring four deep or five deep in a production crew when you're you could easily just maybe have one or two and run on different weekends. It's just it, there's there there are multiple reasons uh, for for doing this, and I agree with it. I mean, it's not like BlizzCon was boring; it was incredibly exciting. Yep. And uh, the people who go to BlizzCon make it super exciting. It doesn't necessarily mean the event. It's I mean, we've seen World of Warcraft, which doesn't draw a huge audience in terms of Twitch, but like pack a house and just be absolutely bonkers uh, in PvP, right? Yeah. And like, it's not a normal thing you see on Twitch topping the charts, but at BlizzCon, it will because... Because you have a captive audience, and I actually enjoyed not having to rush to every little thing. Like I think the HGC and StarCraft were the only things that wrapped up at BlizzCon last year. We had like a Warcraft, maybe Warcraft Arena as well, uh, but we did not see it from Overwatch. We did not see it from Hearthstone. I imagine that list will get dwindled down even more. I imagine HGC to some degree will get pulled out of that as well um, because those are like the big three for them. But overall, like I'm, I'm stoked about the World Cup coming back. I think it was great. Um, I was surprised when I heard it was coming back just because it seems like they got so many resources sunk into Overwatch League, plus them now basically running all the sub-leagues, whether it's the Open or Contenders. Like, they own all of that now. So for them to also throw the World Cup in there, I mean, it gives them something to do with Overwatch at BlizzCon, but holy crap. Yeah. I would like, you know what I think would have been cool? I think, and they obviously they can't do this with the system is, but some sort of promotion match or even just like the Contenders Championship, maybe they will do this, but having the Contenders Championship take place at BlizzCon give an opportunity for those players to get on a bigger stage um, where they don't necessarily oh, have all the idea. eyeballs. Like, I thought that'd be cool, but... Yeah, we will see how that ends up playing out. But overall, like a lot of Overwatch chat this week, I'm I'm, I'm stoked about where Overwatch League is at. I'm stoked that the World Cup is coming back. Um, there's no shortage of Overwatch for us to uh, partake in. That is that is for damn sure. This is true. Although to piggyback on that idea, what if you had uh, the I don't know, like NYXL playing against the winners of contenders, like something like that? Just right? some showcase match. Just yeah. like it doesn't have to be anything yeah. that means anything. But you know, throw some money match. on the line, like. It's also a good way, like, if you have the best, I, ideally the top contenders team is the best non-Overwatch League team in the world, which means that it's a good showcase for those players to potentially want to get signed by Overwatch League teams, especially with, it's pretty obvious at this point we're going to see some expansion going into the next season, so there will be other teams outside of the ones that are yeah. just looking to fill holes yeah. to get on players. So it's, it's a good way to test them out in a, in a more, you know, high-pressure environment, but we'll see. Blizzard, listening, steal that idea. I think it's awesome. 
Moving on, so Hearthstone, Witchwood, we talked a little bit about this last episode, but we've had a, a pretty decent amount of reveals. This Monday kicked off, like we obviously had the big one with Frodan that he ran uh, with mm-hmm. Peter Whalen, um, but we also have had you know some of the streamers start to leak some out. So this is a snapshot in time. By the time you hear this, a few more of these have been out, but there's a few themes that we want to kind of touch on, and so we're a resident Hearthstone expert is going to uh, break it down for oh, us. Man. Yep, I've said you. The bar <laughs> is high, my friend. The bar is high. So let's talk about Druid first. Obviously, we talked a bit about these weird, odd, even-cost card stuff, and we'll, we'll table that for the moment. But I think your comment to me was basically, is Hand Druid becoming a thing? So we've got Whispering Woods and the Witchwood Apple both coming out that are really pumping up the amount of cards you can get in your hand. Yeah, and then when you combo that... Uh, so which, Witchwood Apple basically allows you for two mana to have three Treant cards added to your hand. It's not so much like... Uh, so we... Um, as somebody put it, it's kind of like a, a DIY, uh, you know, aggro kind of card. But if you essentially take that, you're adding three more cards to your hand on turn two. So ironically, we've gone from Drew, which is normally like, let's just add three more mana on turn two <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to my ability to play cards, uh, is now adding three more cards to hand. And then on turn uh, four, which if you have coin, could technically be turn three, you yep. summon a 1-1 one, one with for each card in your hand. Which is it could easely be six one ones at that point in time, possibly. I, I gives you a lot to do with card. your ramp, like that. You've got like a zoo druid or something, like if yeah. you ramp into this properly. Well, even so, you have things like Twilight Drake could also get a ton of health off of, of something like Witchwood Apple. Even if you did Witchwood Apple, Witchwood Apple, and then uh, Twilight Drake, then you're looking at like a four nine on turn four or something ridiculous. Uh, you can even throw in things like Sea Giants, which will work well. Um, yep. There's a lot of talk about Giants from um, from Peter mm-hmm. Whalen during that reveal video, so they definitely took that into yeah. account here. And, and there was one more that was actually released just prior uh, to us recording, which was Forest Guide. It's a four-mana, one-six. Both players draw a card at the end of the turn. And so, again, the ability to kind of keep adding cards to your hand... Uh, because you still have things like Nourish, which could also jump in on, on turn five. And so it, it's kind of what we had been talking about, like Handlock for like the longest time was in our archetype. Now it's almost like Hand Druid is the new way that they're pushing things. Yep. And so when you, you start going like Whispering Woods on turn three, you get like six Wisps. and turn four, you branching paths. You could have, uh, again, a wicked curve. And I, I definitely think we will see a version of hand druid which will be it's weird because it's a hand as you say like a hand archetype that is very aggressive but the aggressive part doesn't really kick into almost turn four so right but you're also not paying the life to get there like i think that's one interesting thing about this versus the hand lock right is like there Mm -hmm. was you were paying a price that i feel like is a little heavier for the hand lock version and this hand druid version i guess the price you're paying is you're like you're sacrificing a bit of your ramp to dump into this buildup, but that is a much safer buildup than potentially what you get out of a, war, a hand lock situation where you're just basically you know tapping constantly to try to get that handful. Yeah, I mean, you are getting your you're damaging. You're using utilizing your health pool as a warlock to gain cards and add cards to your hand in a lot of ways. Uh, the irony is that like you know now druid has or sorry now warlock has a lot of healing potential, yep. uh, which they hadn't in the past until kobolds really, and so. Uh, you you start adding in things like uh, we're sorry for a druid you have the ability to gain a ton of armor as well and so they're they're not really at a deficit um, to gaining 
uh, armor or health, especially when you look at like Malfurion can come out a lot earlier than right. um, yeah, than a warlock and just start hero powering and, and gaining and gaining health. So I think earlier on that's um, I think I think we're going to see something Handroid wise. It's almost too good right now not to. Right. I don't know how well doing the medics again. Making predictions on what the meta will be based on seeing like twelve cards uh, is ridiculous. But uh, yeah, there's a couple of good ones. Like uh, Paladin was another one that came up with Rebuke, which is I, I keep referring to as Lotheb Light. Yes, uh, you know the Holy Lotheb. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a two mana card. Uh, your opponent's spells cost five more next turn, which yep. is essentially like Lotheb, but you don't get the body of Lotheb on board, which right. I I like. I think it has uh, a place in the current. Uh, current build of what we see a lot of dude paladins because that's one of their their things is being able to reload that board. Right. But they're very susceptible to things uh, that that wipe the board, right? And so it may be it may give them a little bit more of an oomph against things like big mage if that's still a thing, uh, because mage has so many uh, powerful like board clears. But it, it if you can delay that one out. more turn, essentially, is what yeah, you're trying it, to that, do. that yeah. might just be win, right? And so. Uh, if they can't clear the board, you're able to to drop down, uh, you know, buff up your your silver hand recruits, uh, in in any of the many ways in which you can with a dude paladin. Right. You could easily win. So yeah, so definitely. Yeah. Again, you know, like one card in the entire edition for paladins, but it's. I think it's like the only paladin card that maybe has been talked about right now. Yep, um, yep, that's all. I think got so what, far. Blizzard has a again a little bit of a, a side note here, but Blizzard or at least Hearthstone uh, team in general has made it a point like if if a current uh, deck is like super strong right in the meta, they kind of release their cards a little bit later on. And shockingly, um, Mage and <laughs> Mage is sitting there with only one card out. Paladin sitting there with only one card out. Yeah, it, but Warlock has gone just crazy with cards, and so I, and maybe I just shot myself in the foot by saying that because they are the ones that have had both of their legendaries revealed already. Yep, yep, and both yeah. very meaningful ones. Like we should talk about that for a second mm-hmm. because we get Glinda Crowskin minions in your hand have Echo, which is yeah. a hell of a way to build Good a board, and which Warlock was not struggling with to begin with. <laughs> No, it actually gives a little more gas to Zoo later in the game. Yep. Um, because you only need to really have something in hand. Um, Anything. Usually you have a lot of like one and two minion two cost minions, and this is a way to refill your board largely. Uh, you Depending on the minion, you could also take a lot of damage to yourself. Uh, so just make sure, again, what you're putting in there. You're not discarding everything. Uh, yep. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see where it lands it might also be that there are a lot of like neutral minions that don't hurt you that might be good for this as well so there's uh there it's it's interesting because a warlock may have uh finally received some great legendary minions in which they can play yes they've had great legendaries like skull of minari uh, but that's not a minion right in the past right there Oh, let me give you the list here. Wilfred, Wilfred Fizzlebang, Blood Queen Lanathel, Clutch Mother Zavas, and Chogall. Chogall never saw play. Zavas I couldn't has, even tell you what Chogall does. I don't know that I've ever actually seen Chogall. <laughs> right? I forgot Chogall was a card. Uh, Clutch Mother Zavas, which you see a little bit on uh, something like the discard zoos, but again, not super swingy and not in most archetypes. Blood Queen Lanathel, mostly a laugh. Uh, and then Fizzlebang, still not a thing like yep. uh 
Wow. It just, so these are the first real ones since Malganus that you actually have playable minions that are legendary and warlocks. Maybe that's why they were revealed. Because everybody was like, murr, murr, with like Lannister. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> but definitely, I mean, Warlocks are looking pretty good. I think another, uh, I want to talk about Shaman real quick. There's two things here. One, the, the lesser one, but they get their basically babbling book, right? They get a 101 taunt battle cry at a random Shaman spell to your hand. So, yay, Shaman. You got your babbling book. But more mm-hmm. importantly, and this was interesting. So, Haggath of the Witch, which we saw teased in the reveal video. That was the one that was kind of like under the dirt at the end. The only legendary hero, apparently, that we are going to get in this set. Eight cost, battle cry, deal three damage to all minions, got five armor, uh, and comes with a passive hero power called Bewitch after you play a minion and a random shaman spell to your hand. So we're getting two cards, both of the similar theme of trying to load more spells into the shaman's hand. Yeah, shaman's still heavy on that RNG, and we've seen... That, um, that RNG, while, again, the Evolve has been a great mechanic because it's easy to dump things on board. You can get uh, more power out of it, more value out of it. I'm not sure that if you're eight turns into a match, basically nine turns into the match before you can actually take turn take advantage of it, right? Because you have to be able to drop things on turn nine to start getting the... Uh, additional spells from Hagatha, right? And right. It's, it's a passive, which is great because it doesn't cost you anything to get those minions, or sorry, to get those spells, but you still have to have a handful of minions on turn nine, and Shaman doesn't have the greatest amount of card draw either. And so there are a lot of things in which people are kind of questioning, like, is this just, is this like a tog, like, was it Togwaggle? Yep. <laughs> right, yep. King Tog, like, is it just a, a flavor card that was added, but is not really... 100% functional? Uh, is it something that maybe we're, we're looking at, again, more random spells being done? What spells are, are are going to be in this expansion, and will it be weighted? Because you know, a lot of times when, when they they do these these cards, uh, they, they weight more towards the expansion. Like the cards from the current expansion have like a 400% chance more of being picked up or whatever. Right. And so there's a couple of things, but I, I don't know. Like, uh, it comes we, with we some. Saw st- ru- we saw the rune spear. We saw the rune spear last uh, last expansion. Was it? Yeah. Yep. Was yeah. <laughs> and and nobody's using it. It still hasn't really found a, a good spot because it's a random spot. It's actually a discover mechanic, and it's still not good enough to see play right now. And I don't know if adding more random spells a more random anything to a class that already gets penalized a lot with overload is like a double whammy especially that late in the game i you know i appreciate yeah. the stall that comes on board with her but three damaged all minions when you're probably playing this in turn nine or turn ten might get some pressure off off of you but if there's big bodies on the board and you're just doing this for a random, and you hope you have at least one one-cost minion you can play to get a spell that you won't actually be able to play that turn. So you're really not getting your value, in my opinion, best case out of this until, what, turn 10? At, at best, because on turn 9, you have to play the things with the minions. Yeah, so you, you have, have to, to have a one-cost you can play on board to get the spell, and if that spell even is worth a shit, you're still waiting until the next round to actually play it. Well, even so, then you're you're hoping that one of even if you're able to dump seven minions on on turn nine, right? Fill your board. 
you have to hope out of one of those seven times you get a bloodlust and that your board doesn't get cleared. And if you're dropping seven minions in one turn, they're generally like one health or two health minions, which, again, you're well into the board clear area of turn nine, right? And yep. so you've, there are many, many ways in which they're removed. And I think another point here is this is deal three damage to all minions. So you're also going to sacrifice any board you've built at this point. So if you have a smaller totem filled board, for example, you've right. built up to this point, you're going to burn that to get Hagatha out. So you like, do you, does a shaman even have enough tools at that point without slow playing to rebuild that board after you do that or to, or to get you to the point where you've held onto that board to build that up and then get a bloodlust or something of that nature. But there are, there are some tools uh, in which you could use. Uh, for instance, I'm trying to think of the name of the um, oh, crap. I'm trying to think. Like you, you've got the ability to kind of add in multiple totems. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a feeling that you're going to see something totem mechanic wise, maybe work into this, right? Because totems is something you can always have. Uh, we've seen, for instance, uh, I'm trying. I can't remember the name of it because again, Shaman doesn't see a ton of play competitively. Uh, but whenever one of your minions die, you actually summon a random totem, right? And so at least you could have something on board. So you wipe everything, but at least you have totems on board. Now that doesn't necessarily help you in terms of getting more um, uh, 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 spells added to your hand because it's a play mechanic on that passive uh, hero right. power. So you have to play it from hand. But if you do run into something like a bloodlust by being able to play a couple the next turn, then you can at least push some damage with with bloodlust. Right. So, but again, it's it's, it's too early to tell. But it does, like you said, is that is that RNG? Think, I still don't think it's 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 not as good as thrall. Um, it, but it's a totally different deck type. So and. and it it shouldn't really compete with if you want to play an evolved deck with thrall then that's what you do, um, but I it may be more control but they they need some more mechanics and I I'm wondering if this is where the some of the freeze mechanics that they've been bringing into play like with more Robbie and stuff like that right. will come into play because we haven't seen a ton of freeze like freeze has not been a viable archetype and we and multiple times we've seen cards come out and be like. That's just awful now. And then the next expansion comes out and like, oh, that's why it's We're gonna, so basically using the freeze to stall to get yourself to a point where you can drop something like Hagatha and then and build your board. Right, right. So I, I think that might be where I, I think we're going to see the completion of the freeze package because what Blizzard also or Team Five also does a lot of times is they will piece together an archetype or a deck type across uh, essentially years yep. um, or when you do the switchover so the set when the sets rotate out you lose the final piece yeah. so it dismantles the archetype for another year right and you may and you so. could also like you build up a cycle you get some good cards in there sometimes their counters rotate out and make them stronger sometimes the set that right. rotates in gives them that missing piece so like everything we're looking at right now with like big priest being a huge thing is yep. just getting even control priest priest is gonna be a hot mess i think at the, this next uh, yeah so because they lose so much yeah so there's two wise. interesting things going on here right so the the core mechanics of big priest are still going to be in there. Barnes is rotating out, so that hurts it. But we get something like Vivid Nightmare, where we get summon a friendly, choose a friendly minion, and summon a copy of one health remaining for three. So not a, a pure Barnes replacement, but something that at least gives us like for like as far as big priest is concerned. But the potions rotating out is massive here because some of not all of, but some of the big priest decks rely 
massively on these potions, and they're all going to rotate right. out with gadgets in it. That's a huge, huge change to a lot of the priest decks out there. Yeah, it is. I mean, with Big Priest, Big Priest, uh, I think I made a quick little list. So they're losing uh, Potion of Madness, which is, again, great early on against some of the aggro, uh, able to at least basically take out quite often uh, two minions for a very, very low cost. Uh, Pint Sign Potion, uh, when comboed with like Shadow Word Horror, is a good board clear a lot of times. Both of them are gone. Greater Healing Potion, again, that 12, uh, the ability to heal yourself for 12 and survive an aggro is gone. Dragonfire Potion's gone. <laughs> so now Dustbreaker looks really good to them. <laughs> yeah, you, had to, you had to go dig up Holy Nova, of all things, because you were right. trying to find some board clear. Yeah, because, I mean, you're looking at Holy Nova, Dustbreaker, or some of their main board clears. You may have to go back to, like, Akonai Circle as being a board clear. Uh, again, a lot of these things that which have, have been replaced. Like, we don't see Holy Nova, like, at all. I, I totally blanked on it. I was like, what is that five mana clear? <laughs> I know like, they have they, a board clear somewhere. It hasn't really been used <laughs> since Dragonfire Potion came into play. And so, again, with the set rotating out, you're seeing a lot of those uh, options may have to come back. Um, we still have like Psychic Scream is still around, um, but again, that's later in the game, so it doesn't really help a ton against aggro. So I honestly feel like Big Priest is done. I don't see how it can continue. Even like Vivid, Vivid requires a minion to be on board, I believe. Right. Uh, so it's summon a copy of, of a minion. Yeah, so summon yeah. a copy of a friendly minion with one health. So the you got to cool have some board of- presence. Yeah, you have to have it on board. So the cool part is, is if you summon it, it's actually at one health, which means you can heal it. So it's not like a, a hard one stop. Yeah, and they were very explicit damaged. about that in the video. It's yeah. like it is damaged, which means you can heal it up, which is good because you right. still have those cheap – you still have the classic cheap heals that you can throw out there, Circle of Healing or something of that nature if you need to yeah. you know, get a cheap way to bring this back. So it's not it's not the end of the world. Like you said, the, the core mechanics of Big Priest are there. The problem is, and we'll have to see what comes out there without those potions to kind of protect the board and to and to survive some of the heavy hitters, like you said, with the with the healing potion. Um, that may be what kills it, but we'll see. We still have we have two legendaries still to come. We've only gotten two of the priest cards so far. So, but like you said, yeah. this may be where they've decided to break that down. Yeah, and a lot of big priests ran Yashiraj at least for a little while, depending on what you were what version you were running. Yep, um, most which is also were, rotating out, right? Yeah, Yashiraj is, is gone. Yep. Uh, so with old gods, so I mean, again, the one the the key for most every big priest was something along the lines of like obsidian uh, statue. So th- those are things that are still core. There might be a possibility that it comes back in some way. I have a feeling it's going to be a much smaller package. Uh, so we won't see big priest, but we'll see this kind of summon a minion, a big minion for cheap, uh, and maybe revive it. It's like a smaller, like maybe like a four or six card package that you add into something. It just feels the main theme of the deck. Yeah, expose. Yeah, (laughs) instead of just stall, stall, stall. Wow, this is fun. I throw things out, you kill it, and then all of a sudden you summon a bunch of stuff for cheap. When I kill it, you just get it back for cheaper. That's great. (laughs) I love this deck. This is so fun. This is why I love Hearthstone. Yeah. Yeah. So, and last thing I want to talk about real quick is uh, just because I'm getting flashbacks here is Face Hunter. Getting tools like it always does. I'm having a bit of like Unleash the Hounds flashback here because all these things have dogs in it and they're all getting rushed. And uh, so we get Houndmaster Shaw, which is the legendary. It's a four cost three six. Your other minions have rush. And we're also going to get a two, uh, two one for two Echo and Rush Hunting Mastiff. So no, no shortage of more things to throw at your face. 
Right. The one thing is that with Rush, you can't j- go to face initially. So right. while the Mastiff is, it's essentially uh, a, a, a two damage beast that could get some beast energy out of it. Um, but with a one health, it's probably going to go towards a minion and just chip away at it really yeah well, but you what you're doing is you're potentially clearing for it to go to face at later turns you're getting some mm-hmm. effectively anything that gets thrown in front of you you're getting better ways to handle that you're getting that ability to just clear it on the turn that you bring you know a mastiff out or whatever you yeah. end up bringing out under hound master because it at four cost you're getting hound master fairly early to be able to still be effective for that type of you know early board pressure yeah i mean this is something that you wouldn't really end up dropping until like turn six to get any kind of value out of Houndmaster, right? But uh, it does give Hunter the ability to do something which it hasn't really done. It's just a one for one damage. It's if you think about this, this is the equivalent to being able to hero power a minion, right? Is what it does. But it's even better because it it has some synergies with things like uh, scavenging hyena, right? So mm-hmm. you have a scavenging hyena on board for two, uh, and you're like eight turns in. Uh, you could essentially uh, throw this into a six health minion three times, and now your hyena is, you know, buffed two one for each time. It's it's one of these massives die. So yep. there are, there are some synergies to it. It's if it didn't have the beast tag, it would be far uh, far more worthless. Right. I don't know one hundred percent how much this will see play. It's cool. Um, but even so, we didn't see, I think it was like the Marksman get a bunch of play, even that was like a two-mana, two-three body that allowed you to just use your your hero power uh, on on minions. We didn't see that enter in the meta, meta a lot. But right. the, the cool thing with this is it's not a spell, so it can be countered by a counterspell. Right. I don't know about this one yet. I'm not too worried about that. However, their, um, their hero uh, does seem pretty cool. And I... I, I kind of like the fact that it's it's your other minions and not your other beasts, which obviously we've seen uh, your other beasts get charged. Right. But this comes out of turn earlier. A 3-6 body for 4 is pretty solid, and any of the minions you drop that turn can just smack into other minions. Yep. So... Yeah. yeah, and if you manage to keep it on board, you get to you get to roll with that, right? So it's not just on the turn that it comes out. If you can keep, right. if you can make them stick, which is not too challenging. If you talk, if I drop this on turn four as a three six, it's still a fairly decent chance I'm going to be able to keep that on board, especially if I've got some other board pressure out there to protect it, and I could potentially just get that value for a couple of turns if I want to drop it a little earlier. Yeah, that six health body uh, is going to allow it to more than likely stick. I obviously like a fireball or something like that will take it out, but it does have the ability to withstand a decent amount of like the, the turn five board clear stuff, which is generally like a two or three damage stuff. So that's uh, super awesome. And I think there, there are again, other minions you could drop on turn four or sorry, the, the following up there, like, you know, three and five costs. You could even dump uh, things with poison and rush it into stuff. Yep. Uh, and like, which one? The Basilisk, I think, which even has... I think it's the three mana, one, one with Divine Shield, but it has poison on it, so you could essentially take out a minion for three yep. and still have a minion with poison left over. So there's a lot of great combos with it. Uh, that four slot is kind of an open slot, largely with, with Hunter. And so I, I think this one will see play. 
Not sure the archetype of total build, but even just in your mid-range hunter, this is still pretty darn solid. Yeah, you don't have to build. This is like a small package here, right? You don't need to build an entire deck necessarily around this card. Like I said, it's just a good well, solid four slot. It just works with everything else, right? Yeah. And especially when you start looking at your spell stones, uh, which come out on turn five, if you're if you're able to um, uh, weave this into kind of like a again a a, a secret hunter kind of deck or build. Um, you could essentially have on turn five four wolves that are ready and raring to go with Rush. So that's ridiculous. Yeah. So overall, cool. Last card I want to talk about real fast is um, Nightmare Amalgam, which is an elemental mech, (laughs) demon, murloc, dragon, beast, pirate, and totem. It's a three cost, three, four that can be affected basically by any effect that Mm -hmm. affects a specific type of card. Yeah, this will see this will see play somewhere. Um, for, I have no idea where, certain. but there's too much there's too much out there to oh. affect this card to not have it in something. I mean, even like in in terms of like a Murloc Paladin, this is a great Murloc for three. It's a three four body Murloc. Murlocs generally have crappy health. Um, usually, I think it, like War Leader is a three three, but um, it, I, I don't see it displacing War Leader. But again, in any one of these cases, like Pirates generally have a weaker body. Uh, Murlocs generally do as well, uh, but the the synergies that work with it, uh, it, it's tough because it's in a three spot, right? It, three is very strong for a lot of classes, um, so it does have to contend with that. But when you start getting into this like odd only kind of decks, right. like, this is something that could easily synergize with other pieces of your deck, and it's a three four body for three is already good vanilla stats, and then you get whatever synergy you want. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what combinations, like, does somebody find a way to double up on some of this stuff, like a deck playing, like, a Shaman with some Murlocs and Totems or something of that nature. Like, Yeah, Yeah. I mean, we still have elemental synergies around quite a bit, right, from Ungoro. So, and again, we could see this. I haven't looked at all the elementals, whether or not they're odd or even, but I'm sure that there's something there. It's... It has a place in every deck because it has all <laughs> as its minion type. Yep. Uh, but whether or not it'll see play, don't 100% know, but I, I bet it will somewhere. Yeah. People will experiment with it. That's actually the one of the things I did want to mention was that while there are, I don't believe that this set has any kind of crazy cool mechanics like we've seen in the past, like with the everybody gets a weapon or everybody gets a, a, a DK. Yep. Uh, these so far, these have been very solid cards it feels almost like another basic set we're just gonna get back to some just like hearthstone minus the gimmicks yeah i feel i feel like it's not like and it's it's just good core cards and i think that's a largely what angora was angora didn't have anything super well yeah angora had quests so even then they were like it doesn't feel like there's there's any like forced archetypes like build around a dk build around this weapon or build it around these quests they're just good, solid core cards, and it almost feels like having another, like a fifth edition or a sixth edition in Magic: The Gathering kind of right. thing, right? It's just a, a core basic set, uh, and because Rush is essentially charge, which is limited, which is what they should have done to begin with, uh, and Echo is something we've sort of seen. In yeah, the past. we've had versions of this that were pretty close, yeah. so we're basically giving a keyword to a slightly different version of what we've seen. So. I agree. I think it's great. And and I was a little worried. I'm glad to see that this just became like a couple of one-off gimmicks. And I still think people will try for these odd, even 
card decks, but it doesn't feel like it feels more Reno Jackson without like the meta domination portion that Reno Jackson took on and less of like, oh, this is just this whole cycle is going to be full of these odd even. That, that was my biggest concern when they started rolling some of those out. And they've already come out and said the ones we see are the ones we're getting and there's nothing else. Yeah, and else, yeah. Uh, I think we'll see some creative uses of it. I'll be blown away if somebody can create like a meta-defining deck around that gimmick. I think the the person who wins most with that is Warrior. Tank up is going to be... A, to get tank up from the get-go is just ridiculous. So it's... We'll see. I know a lot of people are like, oh, cool, I can tank up for days. All I get is... Damn it. I don't want to go back to that meta. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. I just the car meta with with uh against Warrior was like the worst. Yeah. It just that was when you had like hundred plus health warriors and now we've got Dead Man's hand and you're just gonna be no, just go away. <laughs> Burn it to the ground. Yeah. Moving on, let's talk a little Counter Strike. So your boys, Cloud Nine. I don't want to talk about. It. I don't want to talk about. It. All right, well, end of show, it. folks. Thank you it's for listening. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. So we. So this all started, and maybe it's being a little harsh to say it all started here, but so Taco, the, via the way that all esports players communicate via Twitlonger, came out said. He's been unhappy for a while at SK. SK is obviously not the SK of old. They have struggled quite a bit. They have not had a significant victory since the Pro League ESL Season 6 Finals. So it has been a while. And he said, you know, I think it's time for me to move on. There have been some rumors they were looking to replace him and Bolts anyway. And that kind of started the dominoes. So the dominoes originally looked like they were heading Navi's way with Simple and Flamey, who are both also pretty unhappy, and Navi also not having a whole lot good going for them, um, that they were potential replacements for both those players. Now, that looks like that has not been the case, and CEO of Navi has come out and said, nope, not happening, Um, they're staying on board. But what this has led to is this nasty rumor, if you're seven at least, that your boy Stewie2k may be leaving Cloud9 and making his way over to SK. Yeah, I'm not so sure that it will happen there's been a lot of people talking about like well it's already a kind of a done deal they just haven't really figured maybe some numbers out or visas out whatever it may be right uh i don't want to see it happen largely because i don't think stewie's a good fit over there and on top of him not being a good fit there i also don't want to see an na team do well again and then get dismantled mm-hmm. we saw this happen with optic they were you know, right and high at the end of E-League Season 2. Yep. We're going into the major like, yes, they're going to do it. They kind of, eh, that major in January. But then we're just dismantled within like a week. Yeah. And it was it was just done. They've and, never been the same. No, they've and never so, recovered. And none of those players have really done a whole lot for themselves either, right? Like, it's not like we're just talking about the team itself. Like, well, yeah, you can say that they have done well. I mean, essentially, you had uh, Tarek and Rush went over to Cloud9 and then won well, yeah. the next major in January. So they, they went on to Cloud9 to win it. And so that's the thing. Is like, again, I mean, now NAF is on Liquid. He's there. He's doing well. I mean, the, Liquid's had, again, hit or miss, but, I mean, still strong, I mean, so with the especially with the addition of Steel. I don't know where Bolts would go. I understand Taco's kind of plight. Like, he's been, like, the unsung hero. A lot of people give him a lot of shit because... You know, his KDA is not as high as everybody else, but he's kind of like the 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 info man, right? Hey, uh, Taco, you go run ahead, shoot at some stuff, uh, take a dozen bullets to the head, and let us know where everybody is. And like, he's the guy who opens doors and destroys people. He's he's the entry man, right? It's never a fun job. 
it's super thankless. And he's been that for so long. And I think he's uh, just unhappy with that situation. Yeah. We had had Kevin on the show and I think uh, Kevin was even talking about like, yeah, that's exactly what he is. I mean, he's such a strong player for them. Um, But when things start going south for SK, you start looking at those numbers, like irregardless of what you're contributing outside of that, you start looking at the numbers like, well, he's underperforming. Right. Not really. (laughs) But that's where SK has been, right? They've been in this perpetual state of underperforming. So I imagine the pressure is pretty high. And when you read his twit longer, he talks about – he did that and he also did a Reddit AMA. And in that Reddit AMA, he talks about the times in which he was deciding, you know, I'm unhappy. This is when I almost left. And unsurprisingly, they are both after major – problems for the team after star ladder last year and WES, WESG this year both times where there's a lot of shit on sk they way underperformed and he's feeling unhappy what is interesting about the stewie 2k situation though is he's in other than some not so great results very very recently because they have not done a whole lot coming out of the boston right. major win stewie was one that the experts and most famously thorin looked at is a bad move for cloud nine when he came over from splice and they didn't think he was going to do as well as he has he's won two premier events including the boston major and three major events with cloud nine only since joining in since january of 2016 so he has done significantly well for himself for somebody that was not supposed to perform as well as he has moving over to a team that quite frankly has been struggling for a pretty significant amount of time sk has not been the sk of old for quite a while and i don't know where he necessarily like is he a better player than taco numbers wise i'd say so but taco has a hell of a lot of experience and plays like you said a pretty key role in sk and has a hell of a pedigree coming for him eight premieres and a major between his time with sk and luminosity so this is not you know taco certainly has won a lot of stuff i i just i don't know this feels weird um, I don't. I also don't know what's going to happen because the original buyout window before ESL Pro League is literally like this week. So if a move is going to be made, at least in the near term, that's got to happen pretty quick. And you'd have to think they'd need to do something, maybe not right away, but with Taco leaving, they got to do something about that fairly quick, especially if they're also trying to move on from Bolts. It, it's true. Uh, however, I don't think – I think a lot of what you're saying coming from, from Stewie and his performances this year uh, – hinges on the fact of how Tarek leads that team. Tarek is the it, is Taco in in-game leader form, right? And so he's Tarek's always like right up on the front line trying to find uh we saw it in the major trying to find information, getting the reads, rotating his team to points, uh shifting when they need to. And Stewie uh is a benefactor of how Tarek plays, right? We've seen in the past where Stewie tried to be the shot caller, tried to be a little more reserved, tried to stick back without the information, but have to find the information himself. Um, and he did not, the, the team as a whole did not do as well. Again, but he had other people who were the front door kind of people in front of him. So he's never been the entry man like Taco has been. And so I don't see him in that role as much as like, I think Rush plays that role probably better, maybe even automatic to that role better, right? Um, Stewie is kind of like the, again, a, like a backup opera. He's just not that role. He's not Taco. And unless they 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 do this maneuver where they kind of pull bolts out and then add in Stewie 2K and find someone to kind of fill that gap, mm-hmm. I don't see it as a one-for-one trade. No, and There's that's the thing is like, I think... 
as a piece, he's maybe stronger than Taco, but like you said, the supporting cast is not there at SK that he's getting at Cloud9, and that just makes him a stronger piece of Cloud9. I just also, like, this doesn't feel like much of a strategy from SK, and I think, honestly, Simple and Flamey were who they had intended. Something fell apart there, and now they're in a case where Taco was leaving regardless. Now you've unsettled Bolts. With all that context, it would make very little sense for Stewie 2K to make the move, right? Stewie making the move where this is more calculated and they have a plan around this would still be questionable, but it feel like at least something that might potentially work. I, I don't know how anybody could give Stewie the advice to make this move given where we're at because it feels like a second choice. It feels like a backup plan, and you don't have a solution for Bolts. And if Bolts does just decide to leave on his own, what do you do in that case? Like Who else is out there that has been rumored circling this? It just seems like a strange move for Stewie to make at this point. I don't think that Cloud9 is in a state where you're like, oh, I have a better, you know, there's a better situation for me sitting over here at SK right now. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. And I also, I feel like maybe the fact that SK is looking for Simple and Flamey, uh, they've only just let Taco go, essentially. Um, <laughs> uh, he's definitely not being listed anywhere else on HLTV, uh, the, the team list. So I believe he's officially gone now. At yes. Point. Yeah. Um, uh, I wasn't following his drama, his tweets. I was mostly following Stewie and be like, don't, don't do it. Stewie. Don't do it. Stewie. Um, well, to be fair, Taco was not super dramatic about it. So he, right. he had been placed on a roster hold about a week ago. So I think he's officially done now. Um, but yeah, I don't even think it was that dramatic. I think he was just kind of like over it. I think it got lumped into the fact that they're like, oh, well, we know Taco's going to leave. We're not happy with Bolts. Let's see if we can just wipe this clean real quick with this this rating of Navi. And, you know, clearly for whatever reason, I have not found much out there tangible to say why this move fell through. Because it's definitely being framed as it was going to happen and now it's not, as opposed to like it was a rumor that turned out to be untrue. Um, so I don't know what I, happened I, there. I think Simple was probably the breakdown in that. So when Simple was in Liquid uh, for a little while, he was super unhappy not being in Europe and not being home. I don't think he wants to go practice with SK in Brazil or wherever SK. I think SK actually moved to Europe in some way, shape, or form, if I'm correct. Um, but even so, like I don't think he wants to... <sighs> he, he just wanted... He, he's, he's a very sensitive lad. Uh, <laughs> he uh, needs and, a and little feel, extra coddling. Yeah, like I, I feel like he he's great at the game, but I feel like he also has a lot of outside influences, which I don't say like hinder him, but hinder his uh, uh, restricts the number of teams that he, which he would perform well on. And I think SK is not one of the teams he would perform well on. The fact that they're going after Simple, they're going after Flame, they're going after Stewie Two K. It looks like they're going for someone who's got a less of an entry fragger and more of like a flex player, right? Someone who maybe mm -hmm. pick up a second op, um, somebody who's a decent rifleman and can hold their own, but basically not necessarily, they're not looking for a shot caller. They're not necessarily looking for an entry fragger. They're looking for some flex spots, which tells me if they're looking for a flex spot, then they, there's gotta be somebody else leaving. <laughs> right. Right. It, it's just, I don't, uh, I, I, and again, if you're coming in, at, as as Stewie, who has a history of, in Cloud9, you had a history of leading it, you've won a major with him, you're on a very... Granted, you, you've had a rocky rest of the year, but you, you've made history here. And Cloud9 is the type of organization that will hold on to you for a, a long time, look at Shroud, look at nothing. Yep. Uh, and I feel like he's in his role and he's in his element there, right? 
He's got some great support around him. He's got Tarek, who seems to lead very, very well. Uh, he's got Automac, which is a great compliment, uh, complimentary player to him. Skadoodle has no problem get it, giving up the op uh, when it, when need be and having Stewie take it on certain maps. Uh, in, in that, I don't know if he's going to find that camaraderie over at SK. Right. And let's be fair. Like, where CSGO is right now is a competitive scene. It has been a while since, I'd say probably since Astralis, where a team has been, like, dominant for a significant amount of time. So I don't know that Cloud9's current track record coming out of Boston has me like, oh, man, this team's on the downswing. Like, I don't think we there's enough consistency from event to event at this stage to get that worried this early in the game. It, phase is about as close as you get it. Um, I, but again, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily worried a ton about Cloud9. I think that they can they can turn around and they can figure it out. Uh, th- again, the team has been up and down always, but they've never been able to kind of knock it out of the park at a major like they obviously like anyone has, has ever done until this January. So right. it's they've they've done some amazing stuff. And on top of that, with old Cloud9, they beat SK. So in Brazil. For uh, what was it, the ESL Pro Finals or something like that? I think it was. Yep. Um, again, I don't. It just doesn't seem like a good a good fit. It's it feels too much like they're trying to build this like team kind of like like Liquid's building right, where they just kind of have this random Brazilian person on their team right in, in Steel, but everybody else is like North American, uh, you know, either from USA or Canada. And you have this like random guy just thrown in, like, "Hey, you're just really good. We're going to bring you in." And and I don't think Stewie has the mentality of being that person on any team. I think he's a little too much ego. And going to SK, you're going with uh, going to a team with a ton of ego, right? I mean, you're going to a team with Coldzera and Fallen and Fur. <laughs> like th- these people have won everything multiple times. You've done it. You're you're the you're the kid who's coming from North America who just won it once, <laughs> like. Fall in line, and I don't know if he's the kind of kid to, to do that. No, he's got a better. Sh- if he wants to go big, Cloud Nine is a much better place for him to have that level of impact, as opposed to being the new guy on the ship that's kind of already done the things that so. it's going to do. But I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll follow this up next week if we have some resolution. We should know by next week whether or not this is actually going to happen because I think with the ESL Pro League coming back, they're going to have to make some sort of decision. That's not to mean it won't happen long term, but I think as far as this like fill the taco. <laughs> Fill the taco hole now. I'll let you run with that one. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not going to happen. You can't like, start segueing into the end of the show with something like that, nope, man. Nope, fill in the taco hole. All right. If you know the story that Seven referenced earlier in the show about the tattoo, this all comes full circle. You'll have to ask us about it on Twitter. It'll, it'll, all, <laughs> it'll all make sense. Speaking of Twitter, as always, you can find us on all social media, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm oh, sorry, on Twitter at Nerf This Crew, Facebook and Instagram at Nerf This GG. You can check out the show every Tuesday-ish on iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio. Tune in and over at our site where you can get the RSS feed or listen to it directly at nerfthis.gg. As always, we appreciate the uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes. We've been getting quite a few of them lately, which I'm super stoked to see. So thank you for all of you putting that in there that helps people discover the show um, and we always appreciate the feedback and if you're old school you can always hit us up at show at nerf this dot gg i think that's going to do it i think we're done with the uh stewie filled taco hole which is now the uh, name for this episode 
all the references we've made this show to just be edited out and then i don't know there wouldn't be a show over elmo voices or something random elmo voices (laughs) i don't know why (laughs) i I was trying to think of something like kid friendly yeah, which I, is not most no, of the show. No, yeah, there's nothing kid friendly about this. That's going to do it. We will see everybody next week for yet another episode of Nerf This. <laughs> Let's go.